0: Thank you very much for the warm welcome, it's good to be here. To open the word of God with you, Daniel's prophecy, chapter 6. And we'll read a part of this chapter, Daniel chapter 6, from verse 16. Just to remind you, in the earlier part of the chapter, we read of the plot that was made by Daniel's contemporaries to seek to overthrow him, and not even the king could change the law that had been framed against him. Daniel 6, verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's. That the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting, neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel! Servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou service continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live for ever. My God hath sent his angel, and hath shut the lions' mouths, that they should have not hurt me, forasmuch as before him innocence was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. And the king commanded and they brought those men which had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and steadfast for ever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So reads the word of God. Let us pray together. Well, it's my privilege to be here this evening to represent the work and witness of the Trinitarian Bible Society, a long-established work since 1831 has been promoting the Word of God, faithfully translated into many tongues. In a 12-month period, the Society has been able to publish and distribute 4.3 million scripture items, translated into 38 languages and sent out to 100 and eight countries. Looking at it from an alphabetical point of view, you've got Albania and Angola at one end of the alphabet and Zambia and Zimbabwe at the other and all these dozens of countries in between. So this is an international work of providing the word of God in many languages. I want to share with you an encouraging letter. It's encouraging for a number of reasons. It comes from a friend, a brother in Kenya uh, he was a new contact uh, regarding the work of the TBS and he was asking for a supply of Bibles. Now, when we receive a request like that, we feel it's important to make some inquiries because it may surprise you to know that the good book that says Thou Shalt Not Steal is sometimes obtained by uh, false messages and and uh, deceit. And that people know there's a market for Bibles in African countries and elsewhere. If they get their hands on a large dispatch of free Bibles, they can make a large sum of money. You could say the good things, at least people are getting Bibles that want them. But nevertheless, we believe it's important for the sake of our supporters to make sure that we have checks and balances and make inquiries to ensure that this person is a genuine request and he's going to make good use of them. So we might ask if he perhaps knows somebody else that we know in his home area. And one way or another, we want some references. And we were satisfied with this request. And uh, he wrote back to say, It is with great joy that I receive such good news from you. I really thank the Lord for showing me mercy by making my grant application for Bibles successful. Many of the people that I disciple have been yearning to get their own individual copy." I will be eagerly waiting for feedback regarding when the Bibles will be shipped to Kenya. I'm also convinced that many people should know why the version of the Bible matters in relation to the manuscripts and the mode of translation. I'm still learning, doing my research on this area, and so far I am 100% convinced that the King James Version is God's preserved word in the English tongue. He went on to request the possibility of someone coming over to Kenya to take a meeting to speak to some friends about the doctrine of Holy Scripture and the manuscripts regarding translation and so forth. Well, generally speaking, UK deputation speakers don't go as far as Kenya. But we were able to set up a Zoom meeting for him and his friends. He asked if it could be recorded so he could pass it on by email to various contacts. And this is one of the good things that come out of the pandemic and the lockdown. So many people around the world are now set up by some video platform, Zoom or something like that. And also we had a request from someone in Karachi in Pakistan. They told us they had 150 pastors that would be interested in hearing about the position of the society, the doctrine of scripture and other things besides, and uh, we are able to arrange a special meeting online for this large number of pastors. And uh, it's good to know that there's around the world, even in these strict Islamic countries, there's an interest in these things. There are Christian pastors who want to be instructed in these important principles of translation and uh, the uh, principles of the society. So we are encouraged by that and thankful for the demand that there is for the Word of God around the world. Now last year, of course, was a difficult year, a strange year for us in some ways from an emotional point of view because during the early part of June we were celebrating the Queen's Platinum Jubilee and then didn't seem very long afterwards in September when we were mourning her loss. Now TVS published a large quantity of special Platinum Jubilee Bibles, suitably inscribed with the royal insignia for the Platinum Jubilee in the front cover, also had an introductory page. And we were encouraging churches to reach out to the local community with the word of God to see if schools might open their doors for someone to go and talk to the children and present the word of God. We were very encouraged by the uptake. So many churches took the initiative to reach out and they found the door opened in many instances and all 40,000 that we published were purchased for presentation relatively quickly. In the town of Bedford, where I come from, we were quite encouraged. We wrote to quite a large number of primary schools. Sadly, about half of them said no. It very much depends on the view of the head teacher. But the other half said yes in varying quantities. One school said they liked just five copies, one for each classroom. Another school said they liked 32, enough for each pupil to use the Bible in RE lessons. But there are other schools wanting larger quantities. One school had 120, another 497, and another 530. So in total, over 1,200 Bibles were presented to children in Bedford schools or in outlying villages. One school on the outskirts of of Bedford, they initially declined the offer of free Bibles. They said, we've got some Muslim families in the school, so perhaps we ought not to offer Bibles. That's we suggested to them perhaps they should ask the parents to see if they were happy for their children to have a Bible. And the response was in the end that 40 Bibles were provided for this school. And some of the Muslim families, the children, had Bibles and were very happy to receive them. So as a result of the very considerable interest in these Bibles, we decided to publish more. We published another 10,000 And we couldn't get them printed, of course, in Belarus, where the original 40,000 were published. They were printed in uh, Italy. And we heard about the death of the Queen after we placed the order, but we were just in time to modify the order slightly. So 5,000 of them were published in the original purple color with silver writing, and then the other 5,000 were published with a black cover with gold lettering to mark the passing of the Queen. And I don't think there's any left at headquarters. They've all been purchased. I have just two of the Platinum Jubilee Bibles left for sale at 7 each. But it's good to know that 50,000 copies of the Word of God have gone out primarily to children in schools. Think of it. Tens of thousands of children now have the Word of God in their possession. In many instances, this would be the only Bible in many of these homes. And we pray that God will abundantly bless the sowing of the good seed of the word of life in these homes. And we are encouraged by this very much. We are hoping to publish 45,000 coronation Bibles, Uh, probably by the end of March they will be available. So we'll be contacting schools again to see if the children have come into those schools during the last year, whether they would like a coronation Bible. So we are praying that God will open the door again in this way. The word of God may have free course and be glorified. I have a letter here from friends in Cambridge, and they're explaining to us that they set up a table outside their home during the Jubilee weekend, and they had free gospel literature. Also, they had a note on the table encouraging people to knock on their door to ask for a commemorative Bible. And they said almost all the gospel literature was taken And a few people called at our door to ask for one of the Bibles, including a young mother with her children and a man who was out walking his dog. In fact, this man came back a few days later for a conversation and seemed to be sincerely seeking. We were able to put him in touch with our church minister, who has now visited him and reports that he is asked to attend an evangelistic course for inquirers. Thanks be unto God. Who has promised that his word will not return unto him void? Let us not forget that today's children are going to be tomorrow's parents, grandparents if their lives are spared, tradespeople, politicians, magistrates, who knows what they might become. But if through the presentation of the word of God in their hands, and God is pleased to bless the word to their young hearts and give them light and understanding, they will experience a new birth and they'll come, become godly young men and godly young women as they take their place in society. We value your prayers very much regarding the widespread circulation of these Bibles. Now, Bibles for children in school is not something new for TBS. It's something that's been ongoing over many years. There's a school I've been going to for some years now in succession on the Isle of Wight. I go once a year to talk to churches on that island, and there's a a state school, not a church school, just an ordinary state school, and they often allow me something like 40 minutes to talk to the children and then present the scriptures to the children leaving the school. We believe it's important for where there's opportunity to actually speak to children about the Word of God. We don't want people to think the, the Bible is some sort of memento or keepsake. The Bible is the Word of God that needs to be read again and again. And we need to get that across to a younger generation, but some years ago, I had quite a pile of letters come to my home address from the children at this school in the Isle of Wight, and one boy called Toby wrote to me to say, and he was eleven at the time, "It was very nice of you to give away Bibles for free. Thank you very much. I treasure my holy Bible like it's the crown jewels. I thought that was rather special, and we pray that God will bless the word. To him, and who knows, the Lord may have touched his heart already through reading the Holy Scriptures. Now, last year was the 300th anniversary of the birth of John Brown of Haddington. You may be thinking to yourself, why do I need to know that? And who was John Brown anyway? Well, John Brown was a most remarkable Bible scholar, and he developed a very comprehensive reference system for the whole of the Bible. And TBS has incorporated that system into our Westminster Reference Bible. I'll come back to that in a moment. But just a few words about John Brown. He was born in 1722 of poor parents in Scotland. And sadly, he was orphaned of both his parents by the age of 12. During his teenage years, he looked after sheep to earn a living. And it was during that period of his life that he came to know the Lord. It came about in this way. He heard a sermon that deeply convicted him that he was without saving faith. He wasn't a child of God. And he experienced an agony of soul for some long time until he heard a gospel sermon from Isaiah 53. And as he understood the substitutionary nature of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, he experienced real gospel liberty. This gave him a new understanding and insight into the Word of God. It was his joy and rejoicing. And while he's looking after his sheep, not only did he read the Bible in English, but he taught himself New Testament Greek. And after some years, he had saved up enough money to purchase his own copy of a Greek New Testament. So he sat off at midnight, walked all the way to St. Andrew's University, and in the morning went into the book room. One of the university professors was rather surprised to find a rough-looking shepherd boy asking for a Greek New Testament. So he challenged John Brown, opened up a Greek New Testament, said, if you can read this page, you can have this free of charge. And John Brown was very pleased to take away a free Greek New Testament. Well, he went on to become a professor of divinity and a pastor for 36 years at Haddington. That's about 18 miles east of Edinburgh. He became fluent in 11 languages. Some people suggested it must be of the devil, which is a very unkind thing to say. It was as a result of the gifts God had given to him and his diligence in seeking to learn as much as he possibly could. But his magnum opus was the John Brown self-interpreting Bible. A friend quite recently lent me a copy. It's a very large Bible. It's about that width and about that height, not exaggerating, it is indeed those proportions. And there's lots of very helpful notes and comments on the scriptures, uh, trying to explain some of the knotty texts, some of the difficulties in certain texts of scripture, and uh, laying them straight for the reader. It's a very profitable uh, copy of the Word of God. Now, TBS has incorporated the reference system. We didn't incorporate his notes because TBS was sent up in 19, 1831 on the basis of publishing Bibles without note or comment. But we have incorporated these references. I want to just show you a copy of the Westminster Reference Bible. This is in the leather-bound edition, but just to show you how it works. So you've got two margins on each page to allow room for the many, many references, where there might be a different uh, possible rendering of the Hebrew or the Greek that's there in the text to throw further light on the passage, And where there might be an unusual word in the main text, there's an explanation for that word in the margin next to the verse. There's some helpful chapter summaries, so you can get just a brief overview of the chapter before you read it. And also at the back there's a range of new colored maps, information on weights, measures, and currencies used in the Bible, and a concordance. Now, the leather-bound edition has been reduced from 75 pounds to 60 pounds, We also do a hardback edition. I'm afraid I've sold out the hardback edition that's £15.50, but it can be purchased online. There's also a compact size and also a large print edition, and each are available in hardback and leather-bound. You may like to have a closer look after the meeting. I can certainly commend it to you. If any of you here have already got a copy of the Westminster Reference Bible, I'm sure you will commend it to others. It's a very useful the edition of the Word of God. Moving on to another aspect of the work of TBS, and that is the provision of the Word of God for people in prison. It's a rather depressing thing to have to tell you, that there are 85,000 people in prison in the UK. Our prisons are full. You could say in some cases almost overflowing. And TBS over the years have had contact with many prison chaplains who have very gladly accepted copies of the Word of God to pass on to those who are ready to receive them. And of course, people in prison have had time to think about the consequences of their actions upon themselves and upon others. And having time on their hands, of course, they may be willing to take part of the Word of God or a complete copy of the Scriptures to read. Of course, there are some who completely distance themselves from the Word of God and are not interested, but there are others who are showing an openness. To the word. I can say this from personal experience in prison chaplaincy work in Bedford Prison in years past that you can talk to people in their cell, you lose sight of what they might have done, they might tell you what they've done, often a very violent crime being a high security prison, but you lose sight of that because here is a poor sinner who needs to hear of a saviour. We're never in a position where you have to say, I can see that you've sinned just too much. We're never in that position to, say, to have to say that because we know that the vilest sinner out of hell who lives to feel his need is welcome to the throne of grace, the Saviour's blood to plead. And so we are able to reach people by this means and to pass on the Word of God, whether Gospel, John, or Calendar, or whole Bible. Another prison not too far from where I live is Woodhill Prison at Milton Keynes. And our contact there wrote to us to say, thank you for the prompt sending of these Bibles. We have none to distribute, and these have quickly come through security. Many prisoners ask for the authorised version, and I acknowledge the good intentions of the so-called easier-to-read versions to be more accessible to the less well-educated. But I like to point out the accuracy and beauty of the authorised version. And many prisoners appreciate that. Thank you again for the grant. One particularly striking account we heard was of a man who years ago was found guilty of defrauding the Secretary of State. He was a solicitor and he was locked up in prison in the Wandsworth prison for seven years. During his imprisonment he was converted. We don't know how that came about. But he wrote to us to ask if we supplied Bibles for him. He initially thought about trying to help other prisoners with educational needs. Then he thought about setting up a Bible study group. And so he wrote to us, and we were happy to supply him with Bibles. And, of course, we are always very sympathetic and interested in in such noble endeavors. One man that visits Lewis' prison in Sussex was telling me that through the circulation of TBS Words of Life calendars, he knew of at least one man who'd been converted simply by reading the verses of Scripture on those calendars. Another contact wrote to us to say, I'm commonly giving out Scripture calendars three times a week. Many prisoners request them. And as I go round cells, I can see how many have a calendar hanging on the walls. I usually have Bibles and Christian books, magazines and tracts with me as well, and I find the calendars are a good icebreaker. Some people will accept a calendar, but no other literature. The foreign nationals are particularly grateful, even excited, to receive a calendar in their own language. Sometimes I see people reading out the scripture verses, including those whose literacy is low and have to sound out the words very carefully. I'm always open to explaining more about the Bible and providing ones in different languages. Well, they are just some of the encouragements regarding the Word of God for prisoners. The chaplain at Bedford Prison said to me on one occasion, Bibles is something we can't have too many of. There just seems to be a considerable demand, and we send thousands of Bibles to various prisons throughout the UK. So we are encouraged by this, and who knows how the Lord may be blessing his Word, even in the quietness of a prison cell. And uh, we know there are those who, through God's grace, come out of prison different people to what they went in. Many years ago, we heard of a man who'd received a Bible from TBS. He wasn't particularly interested at first. In fact, he started to tear the pages out and roll it up for cigarette paper. But one day, uh, one or two words on that paper caught his attention, and it was the means of his conversion. Well, the Lord is a sovereign, isn't he? How he works through the word of God in even strange ways, you might think, and uh, changes people's lives and turns them around. Just one more letter in respect to prisons. This comes from his majesty's prison at Humber. Thank you so much for your kind donation of all the items you sent us at the prison. I have to say it was a bit like Christmas, or I felt a bit like the child in the sweet shop who was told he could have whatever he wanted to. There are Bibles, sorry, there are things in boxes you sent that have already gone out, bookmarks, daily lights, Bibles, and uh, Bible quiz books to the prisoners. I have already had other guys asking, where can I get one from? In a place where people are used to being told, no, you can't have this or you can't have that, it was so nice for a change to be able to say, yes, you can have that. And there are people out there who care about you and want you to have a chance to read the Bible. Or well, yes, you can have a nice bookmark and not just a piece of toilet roll to mark the page in the book you are reading. Well, it just give you a little insight into the way in which God's Word is being received, even in such circumstances. Now, moving on to some of the translation work TBS is involved in, we have over 50 translations under review. Some at the early stages of the translation process, others have reached completion or very nearly completion in some instances. So let me just say a few words, first of all, about the Ukraine. I think that may be of interest to us because I'm sure we've been very concerned with the situation that has arisen over the last year in that troubled country. The Ukraine is one of the largest European countries and It became independent in 1991. Often it's been referred to as the global breadbasket because it literally has millions of acres of very fertile soil and has been one of the largest grain exporters, which of course has been interrupted to some extent. Some exports have got through, as you may know, but not to the usual level. And aid agencies in Africa are very concerned about the situation that has developed, it's always a challenge feeding the hungry in Africa, but even more difficult because of the present problems. Now, going back to the end of February last year, I received two phone calls. Both people were saying the same thing. We've heard that they've run out of Bibles in the Ukraine. Can TBS do anything to help? Well, TBS responded by opening up a special fund entitled Scriptures for Ukrainians. And very generous donations have been made to that fund enabling us to send large quantities of scriptures to various people, primarily people that have been displaced. It's difficult getting things into Ukraine itself, but in countries such as Romania and Poland, Moldova and Slovakia, it's more accessible to reach people in those places. Now, TBS has a complete translation of the Bible in the Ukrainian language. It's the official language of the country. this translation is, is a good translation, it was produced in the 1800s by a man from a Cossack gentry family. His name was Pantaleimon Kulish. So it's often referred to simply as the Kulish translation. And it's a translation of use primarily for people in the western part of the country. The language varies in the central and eastern parts of Ukraine. But in the western part, this translation will be useful. Some years ago, we published 10,000 copies of the Ukrainian Bible. We found it was quite slow-moving. After five years, just 5,000 copies had been purchased for distribution. But as soon as hostilities broke out, there was an immediate call for the rest we had in stock. So we published another 15,000. In addition, we published 15,000 Gospels of John in Ukrainian, the first time this was published as a separate publication. Very quickly, they were purchased by missionary and evangelistic organizations, so we published another 15,000, and the demand just goes on and on. You often find it's the case that when people's lives are turned upside down, they become much more open to hearing the message of the word of God. I heard a report from the Ukrainian Bible Society, and they said that they had experienced a 100% increase in demand for Bibles. I don't know what sort of Bible or the accuracy of the Bible they are distributing, but that's just simply a fact of the, the growing interest there is in the Word of God in that part of the world. I received a WhatsApp message about a year ago from missionaries that are working in the western part of Ukraine, and they said this We would like to turn the Gospel Hall into a place of worship and also shelter and accommodation and feed believers who will face many hardships. God is about to give us a great opportunity to show our Christian faith practically and reach out into our community with the gospel. They're determined to remain at their post and to help people in as many ways as they possibly can. And we wish them God's um, safety and blessing in the work that they are doing. Moving on to something rather different. Let me just say a few words about their Chinese translation. China is a vast country, as you know. 1.4 billion people live in China. In fact, a fifth of the world's population live in that country. Now, there's been Christian influence in China for many, many years. In 1853, James Hudson Taylor obeyed the call of God Go for me to China. He couldn't get these words from his mind. Go for me to China. And he was moved to go to that country. He experienced many difficulties and discouragements. But eventually he was successful in setting up the China Inland Mission. And he lived to see many other missionaries following him to that country, many hundreds of them as they sought to spread the light of God's truth in that vast country, a country that previously had been very closed to outsiders. Previous to James Hudson Taylor, uh, Robert Morrison in 1807 went to China. He felt his calling was to translate the Bible into the Chinese tongue. He had to learn 35,000 Chinese characters to do so. It was illegal to translate the Bible so he had to shut himself away in secret month after month and year after year as he labored in this arduous task. It was a good translation but the language has changed dramatically since those days. Now, coming more up to date, in the 1960s, the communist government sought to stamp out every evidence of Christianity. They boasted that Christianity was now a museum piece. Well, it's nothing of the sort. they closed down many churches, but God's people are now meeting in secret, underground, you might say, trying to continue the worship of Almighty God. And God has had his good hand of blessing and prosperity upon believers in that country. It is estimated, and believed to be a conservative estimate, there are 100 million born-again believers in China. Of course, only the Lord knows the true number. Only the Lord knows them that are his. But nevertheless, a very significant work of the Lord has taken place in that vast country. God has blessed the faithful labors of missionaries and pastors and preachers and evangelists in that country. Now, regarding the Chinese uh, translation of the Bible, the one that has been commonly used for some long time has been known as the 1919 Union Bible. Now there's three problems with the Chinese Union Bible. First of all, it's not a complete Bible. It's based upon what is known as the critical text of the Greek New Testament. So you've got lots of verses abbreviated, even verses missing, and even whole passages. In two instances, are called into question. If you were to add up the total of words missing, it's equivalent of having First and Second Peter missing from your Bible. So it's quite a considerable uh, part of the word of God missing and often impinges upon fundamental doctrine, weakens the testimony of scripture in the process. The second problem is the translation method was influenced by false doctrine, so certain obscurities arise, certain inaccuracies arise in that translation. And thirdly, it was translated into traditional Chinese. The vast majority of people in China today don't read or speak traditional Chinese. They speak simplified Chinese. It was simplified by the communists in the 1960s. So that means that the majority of people haven't learned a sufficient number of Chinese characters to read the current Chinese Bible. Now, because of this, TBS for many years has been very exercised about this and has been working on a significant translation project, translating from the full text of Scripture using well-proven translation methods into the simplified Chinese tongue. And some years back, we were able to publish the Gospel of John, 70,000 copies of the Gospel of John in Mandarin Chinese. 900 million people speak Mandarin Chinese. And uh, this has been well-received so far. We were uh, distributing them with the help of Hudson Taylor Ministries. They were doing this as quickly and as secretly as possible, they didn't want the authorities to get wind of what they were doing and come and confiscate any copies we had left. Thankfully, they were all safely distributed far and wide. 20,000 of those copies were translated into uh, English as well as uh, Chinese, so it's the authorized version and the Chinese translation. It's known as a diglot. You've got two languages on the same page, so it's very useful for those who may be. Uh, wanting to learn Chinese or people wanting to learn English. It works, of course, both ways. But thankfully, we are very close to publishing the whole of the Chinese New Testament. There's going to be a special Thanksgiving service next month, God willing. I don't have a copy yet of the New Testament, otherwise i would show you. But we're thankful for the good work our translators have been doing. Most of them are not actually in China itself, so they're in a very safe location, translating in various parts of America, and uh, they've been very diligent, very concerned for uh, this translation to be produced and to be produced accurately. I received a very recent letter, in fact it only came through this morning, regarding the Chinese scriptures. I feel particularly positive about your Chinese New Testament, which is, I think, the only one in that language, spoken by a fifth of the world's population, which is translated from the Textus Receptus, or the received text. For seven summers, up until the lockdown, I gave out scriptures in many languages in London and found the Chinese to be most receptive. I then gave them the Union version, which I think was the best until that time. You ask for prayer for the translators. Your quarterly record makes this easy to organize. By the way, it sets out the translation projects so that I can pray for each one each evening. Of all requests for prayer, these are the ones I like best as the subject of the translation and distribution of the word of God to all nations is close to my heart. We very much appreciate praying supporters of the society, people who take these things to heart and bring these things to the word to to God in the throne of grace and asking of his blessing upon the spread of the Scriptures. Do help yourself to copy of the quarterly record if you haven't had one already. It may be you have Christian friends and they don't know about the work of TBS. Do take an extra copy or as many as you feel you can use. Be a useful way of spreading the news of the work of the society. Just one other translation I wanted to mention briefly, and that is the Turkish translation I mentioned last year. There's been some forward movement since last year. I mentioned the tens of thousands of Turkish uh, Gospels of John, but we now have available the whole of the New Testament in the Turkish language. And it may be, as a result of the terrible earthquake that has been so recently experienced in Turkey, it may be there are people who will be much more open to receiving the word of God at such a time as this. In a time of great distress and loss and trouble, the Lord sometimes uses this as a means of opening people's minds to hear the word of God. So we value your prayerful interest regarding the scriptures for the Turkish people, this time Chinese, and also the Ukrainian-speaking people in various parts of the world. Just one or two things regarding the book table, the usual items, bookmarks, Greetings cards and calendars. Now, the calendars are now free of charge. There's quite a number there for you to take if you wish and pass on to anyone else you feel could use them. The Golden Thoughts calendar, a verse of scripture for each day of the year, and the Words of Life, a a colorful calendar with a scripture for each month. Do help yourself to any copies you feel you can use. Please turn with me now to the passage we read earlier, Daniel's prophecy in chapter 6. And I draw your attention to the closing words of this chapter, verses 25 to 27. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom... Men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and steadfast for ever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Now the prophecy of Daniel is a remarkable part of the word of God and there are two things I want to say at this point. First of all, it reminds us how God dealt with proud and powerful kings in times past. Early in this book you read of Nebuchadnezzar and he was filled with pride as he overlooked Babylon. and Babylon was a great city, famous for its hanging gardens. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But his heart was bursting with pride as he said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built for the majesty of my kingdom? And God dealt with him to humble him. He lost his reason. As you read in that chapter that he was driven from men out into the fields and he started to eat grass like the oxen. I understand there's a rare medical condition known as lycanthropy. And it's when a person behaves and imagines himself to be like an animal. It would appear that was the condition that Nebuchadnezzar was in. We're told until seven times passed over him. We don't know how long that was, perhaps seven years, but it was long enough for him to acknowledge the true God of heaven. Then his reasons started to return, and effectively he went back and carried on where he'd left off, was able to continue to reign over that vast empire. But he was a changed man, at least to some degree, the end of Daniel chapter four, he says concerning God's dealings, those that walk in pride, He is able to abase. Then we read of Belshazzar, another proud and powerful king. We learn of the of Belshazzar's feast, the revelry, and in the midst of their presumptions, they used the vessels that had been taken from the Jerusalem temple and used it for the worshiping of gold and silver, the gods of Babylon. There was the writing on the wall, this mysterious hand that wrote from the plaster of the wall. And Belshazzar was so afraid, these knees knocked together. He called for Daniel to come in to interpret the writing. And Daniel faithfully explained to Belshazzar that his days were numbered and the kingdom would come to an end. That night, Belshazzar died. Then here in this chapter, another proud and powerful king, this is Darius the Medo-Persian king, was the Persian Empire that overthrew Babylon, and Darius was part of that kingdom, and he was being taught certain important things concerning Daniel and the God whom he knew and worshipped. So it's a remarkable book explaining for us how God dealt with proud and powerful kings. And thinking of our own British history, you think of Henry VIII, the proud and powerful king. God dealt with him in a certain way, humbled him to a certain degree, and used him to promote the word of God. I'll explain a bit more a bit bit later. Another feature of Daniel's prophecy is the way God used his people, sometimes in unusual circumstances and strange places. You think particularly of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Though they were given um, Babylonish names, uh, incorporating the names of Babylonish gods, They retained their Jewish identity, they sought to stand apart from the idolatry that was rampant in that city, and God honoured them for doing so. The old principle is true, isn't it? Them that honour me, I will honour. And likewise, regarding the Reformation in their own country, God used sometimes ordinary people, a humble people. God had... Blessed his people with grace to stand the fiery trials that they were to suffer. And they stood firm for their testimony concerning Christ and salvation. They uh, they rejected the Romish mass this blasphemous, fable, and dangerous deceit, and they were willing to lay down their lives, suffering a fiery death. Well, God then has helped his people in times past. Here in Daniel's time also in this country at the time of the Reformation. I want to notice with you, first of all, Darius' confession. It really is quite remarkable. Here is a pagan king. His eyes, you might say, were half open now to see aspects of the truth concerning the God of Daniel. Four things he said. First of all, the God of Daniel, he says, is the living God. There in verse 26, in the middle of the verse, the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Darius could see that Daniel's God was unlike the gods of men. The gods of men were the result of the overworked imagination and superstition, or the craftsmanship of their hands, gods they could pick up and carry about with them. But Daniel's God was the living God. He could see that now to some degree. This is the God whom we know if we are the lords. We are in possession of the same blessings that Daniel knew in salvation. Remember, Old Testament saints were saved in exactly the same way as Christians today. They were looking ahead to the coming of Christ, whereas we look back to the coming of Christ and to his glorious accomplishments at Calvary. The the God of Daniel is the author of life, the sustainer of life, the creator of all things, and the savior of sinners. Secondly, Darius could see that the God of Daniel was eternal and unchanging, he went on to say, and steadfast for ever. God has revealed himself to us in those terms. I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. You find in Psalm 102, there's a comparison drawn between the heavens which will be rolled up like a scroll, but concerning the Lord that uh, he will never change, his years will have no end. This great truth is carried forward concerning our Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 1, Psalm 102 is quoted in reference to Christ. And of course later in Hebrews you have that well-known statement, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday and today and forever. Thirdly, Darius could see that the God of Daniel not only is the living God, and the God who is eternal and unchanging. But he's the God who delivers. What a wonderful testimony this was to Darius. Notice verse 27. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, just to remind you of the context, Daniel's contemporaries had plotted against him. A law had been passed. Darius had been tricked, really, into passing this law. Once he'd signed it, it could not be changed. That was the law of the Medes and the Persians. And here was the king feeling completely helpless. Daniel now was thrown into the den of lions because he been caught praying to God. And here is Darius. He can't sleep at night. He doesn't want anything to eat. He doesn't want any entertainment. And he's in a state of trouble and distress. What is happening to Daniel? And uh, when he wakes up in the morning, he goes straight to the den of lions and calls out to Daniel. And Daniel answers how relieved he must have been. And here then he is confessing. And he wants everybody to know about this. Every language, all people, nations, he wants them to know this. That the God of Daniel is the God who delivers. He can see the uselessness of the pagan gods that he was familiar with, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And Daniel's deliverance was all the more striking when you notice verse 24, when Daniel was delivered and his enemies, their wives and their families, were thrown into the den of lions. And immediately they were consumed. But Daniel had been preserved. So the God of Daniel is the God who delivers. Daniel had proved the truth of the psalmist when he said, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. The fourth thing that Darius could see was that Daniel's God had an everlasting kingdom. And perhaps this is all the more surprising when you think what a man he was, Uh, sunk in pagan darkness, but now he could see something never seen before. The God of Daniel has an everlasting kingdom. Notice the end of verse 26. His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. Unlike earthly thrones and dominions that come and go, the late Norman Perry, who was a pastor in Greenwich for some years, he wrote a poem. On this theme, I think I have a copy here that I want to share with you. He wrote this: Egypt, Babylon, and Tyre rise and flourish and expire. Greece and Rome return to dust. rise they may, but fall they must. Britain's proud imperial might sinks for ever out of sight. Marx's power disintegrates, time all power annihilates these all shall perish. Stone on stone, but not thy kingdom or thy throne. And Daniel, of course, he not only prophesied of the Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, but he prophesied concerning a kingdom which would not be removed, a kingdom which never, never failed, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then we notice the decree itself that Darius made. And it begins in verse 26. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. I would suggest to you in the days in which we live here in this country trembling before God is conspicuous by its absence amongst the general population and even in many churches it would appear. There's no fear of God before people's eyes. But here is... Darius commanding the people of his kingdom that they should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. In a sense, he was mistaken in making such a decree because you can't command people to fear God in that sense. But nevertheless, he was teaching people to reverence the God of Daniel because he'd been so moved by what he'd seen with his own eyes. And interestingly, coming back to Henry VIII, he made a decree in 1838 that the Bible should be made available in the parish churches. Now, think of the context. Two years before, he had sent servants to go and hound and discover William Tyndale on the continent, and he was put to death for translating the Bible into English. But he had prayed, remember, before he was strangled and then his body burnt, he had prayed, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. In two years that prayer was answered and Henry VIII, no doubt under the influence of Thomas Cranmer, the archbishop, had decreed, and I read to you the very words, that one book of the Bible in the largest volume in English and the same set up in some convenient place within the said church that ye have care of, whereas your parishioners may most commodiously resort to the same and read it. How astonishing. God having his hand on a proud and powerful king, moving him to promote the word of God. And the interesting thing about the Reformation in this country is it wasn't moving forward mainly by great preachers as on the continent, like Luther and Zwingli. It was moving forward at grassroots level simply through the word of God being translated into the English tongue. People, ordinary people, if they couldn't read themselves, would gather around the lectern and the churches and they'd hear the word of God being read to them. And God was blessing it to those who were listening in many instances. Now, the copy of the Bible that was chained to the lectern was known as the Great Bible because it was a very large volume. Much of it was based upon Tyndale's translation work. But interestingly, if you've ever seen the title page of a Great Bible, it has a rather elaborate picture of Henry VIII, Perhaps you wouldn't want to have a Bible with Henry VIII in it. But nevertheless, it's interesting from a historical point of view. It shows Henry VIII, in one hand, is handing out Bibles to the clergy, with the other hand is handing out Bibles to the laity, to the ordinary people. And when you think of a remarkable turnaround that was in God's good providence, the word of God was being promoted throughout the nation. In a similar way to to Darius here, who wrote unto all people, nations and languages, that dwell in all the earth. And he wanted them to know certain truths. Well, how remarkable these things are. Just a few final thoughts. And that is in respect to the power of prayer in regard to this passage. Notice, first of all, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did before time. Notice, he knew the writing was signed. He knew the implications. If he prayed, he very likely knew that he would be discovered and he would suffer as a result. But he didn't flinch. If ever he needed to pray, it was now, wasn't it? I understand the Hebrew translated and prayed is literally... He bowed in entreaty. That's how we have to come to the Lord, don't we? Not on the ground of what we think we've done to gain merit before him, but rather we humble ourselves before him. We bow before him in entreaty, humbly requesting his gracious help and assistance. There's something else interesting here, and it's this. It says his windows were open towards Jerusalem. Now this wasn't some sort of superstitious idea of Uh, turning to the east, or turning towards Mecca, as some people do. This was a realization of the word of God and the prophecy that was found and discovered in Solomon's prayer. Daniel would have known this. Remember the dedication of the temple, Solomon prayed, regarding Israel's future, that if the day came when they went into captivity, he prayed that God may have mercy upon them, If Jerusalem came to mind. they turned again towards that city, he prayed that God might remember them in their captivity. Here is Daniel. He's in captivity. He's in trouble. And his window is open towards Jerusalem. He knew the prayer of the dedication of the temple. But there's something else interesting here regarding Jerusalem. Daniel knew this, that Jerusalem was the place of blood atonement. Yes, it was a ceremonial atonement, But nevertheless, it typified the great atonement which our Lord Jesus Christ made. And Daniel, being a godly man, the spirit of Christ was in him. He was looking forward to the coming of Christ. He knew the ceremonial law wasn't an end in itself, but it was a picture of Christ who was to come. And the saints in Old Testament times looked beyond the animal sacrifice to Christ himself and were saved and forgiven on that account. And that's how we have to come to God, isn't it? As we sang earlier, Behold the throne of grace, the promise calls us near. There Jesus shows a smiling face and waits to answer prayer. That rich atoning blood, which sprinkled round I see, provides for those who come to God an all-prevailing plea. And so we come on the same ground as Daniel, on the ground of a blood atonement. And the final thought is this, if Daniel had been praying for himself, then the answer is in verse 22. My God hath sent his angel, and hath shut the lion's mouths, that they have not hurt me forasmuch as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. If he been praying for the king, then the answer is in verse 16 where we find Darius saying to Daniel just before he was thrown into the den of lions, the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. It seems like Darius had some confidence that Daniel's God would intervene and appear for his help. and It may be that those words Darius spoke were a comfort and help and encouragement to Daniel in that time of of trial and distress. And if he'd been praying for the glory of God, then of course the answer is found in the words we've considered already at the end of this chapter. I'm sure it's not too much to say. Daniel was praying for all three things. For himself, for the King, and for the glory of God. And that must ever be the ambition for ourselves as believers, for church members, and for the Trinitarian Bible Society, that in all we do must be for the glory of God more than anything else. On the quarterly record, on the back of the uh, cover of the, record, the quarterly record, it says this, For the glory of God and the increase of his kingdom through the circulation of Protestant or uncorrupted versions of the word of God. But may be our desire to live and to act and to speak for the glory of God. We're going to sing a final hymn, and it's the hymn 676. 676. A sovereign protector I have, unseen yet forever at hand, unchangeably faithful to save, almighty to rule and command. He smiles and my comforts abound. His grace as the dew shall descend and walls of salvation surround the soul he delights to defend."